0: So hello, anarchist community. On today's episode, we have the epidemiologist and activist Jason. Join us for a conversation all about his life as a classic overachiever, and boy do I resonate with him. I am in that camp. Together, we talk about the importance of continually learning, the need for protection of our artists, and working with the neighborhood to grow towards inclusiveness. Y'all, Jason just provides so many nuggets of wisdom. I think you could kind of pause and restart this episode at any point and just tune into what he is saying and learn from the beautiful metaphors that he uses and the stories from his community and his own personal family that I just think illustrates so many valuable lessons that we can take from life. So I really appreciate you, Jason, for coming on and sharing your personal story and all the wisdom that you had with us on the podcast. So y'all, tune in.
1: How are you?
0: Hi, I'm good. I'm actually doing really, really well.
1: Oh, fantastic.
0: Yeah, what about
1: you? I'm actually doing well, too. You know, I'm sort of, you know, always feeling kind of old and rushed. But (laughs) that's what happens when you've been on this earth for almost 50 years.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That, hey, I'm ready to talk about all of it.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I am too. I'm super excited.
0: You said old and sluggish. (laughs)
1: Always. (laughs) Really? You know how it is. or You don't know how it is. I don't know. Yeah, tell me. Probably about less than half my age, but... Someone on that snowy day in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, way back in 1972, a child was born. Mm. (laughs) And that child was you. Fortunately, yes, that child was me. And so it's one of those times in life where you just sort of look around and you realize that, hey, you've been at it so long. When you started, you were in your 20s, you were 19. Now I'm 49. Mm back and you reconcile what you've done in that last 30 years and so actually as you know you approach my age you start to see things a little bit differently it's taking an accounting of what you've done and seeing what you can do better the mistakes you made acknowledging those and acknowledging that those sort of led to the situation where you are today it's all about just taking it all into context but yes it does make one very Mm -hmm. Old and tired. <laughs> yeah.
0: But we yeah. must, the show must go on. Yes, yes, yes. Well, hey, I mean, the show has already started. It, it oh. sounds like you're, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, what you're talking about, it, it sounds like a period of retrospection where you're looking back on yourself and the ways that you've grown and right. succeeded and failed and how all of that together through that whole journey of ups and downs makes you yeah. you.
1: And it's, you know, it's just not only um, I mean, when you're thinking about yourself in retrospect, it is about you, but it's not about you, as mm. well, you know, sort of knowing how your actions affected others and mm. other trajectory as well and where yeah. they are today. It's almost that same old tired quote that we all heard, there's a ripple effect in all mm. that. And, and it, there is. And that's sort of the easy way to say it Mm -hmm. you know as we all march through life searching for you know our highest self Mm -hmm. using altruism and just trying to be just fully self-realized it's a a journey and you never because if you get there then you're unique and if you're that unique then you're going to be miserable
0: right 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 right, and i mean to think that we're ever going to be stagnant creatures that this is my cat we'll see absolutely
1: now while i'm talking about age is like i said as you get to your 40s 50s and you've either not had kids or had kids raised your cat he can yeah 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 yeah, fat cat
0: She's made yes, i listened
1: to some podcasts before and I know about your kitty.
0: The cat that hits me. Right. The right. cat that hits me.
1: See, see, heard my voice, decided, wait, mom is not paying enough attention to me. I'm not going to hit you with an open claw.
0: Yeah. Yes. That's next. Yeah, no, 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 no. It is just paw.
1: <laughs> No, I totally understand. When I first moved to Birmingham, I had a little cat named Sam. And, mm-hmm. you know, with a bunch of guys in college and this cat the cat was more like a dog and I love that yeah it was an attack cat
0: <laughs> I mean they're complex creatures I, I truly are, think there's so much to learn from them <laughs> they you know have good and bad sides just like us humans you know
1: right right but yeah I got off topic a little bit what I was saying earlier is mm-hmm. you know, get to you know your 40s your late 40s even 30s it yeah start to sort of just think about, you know, life in a different way, because let's face it, at that point, the time is ticking down. <laughs> you mm, have to mm-hmm. make sure that you s- still have enough excitement and enough them and vigor to do the things that you did when you were young. But now yeah. at the time where hopefully you've put in enough work to where you have a little bit more power and yeah to actually make those changes Mm. you know i loved being young i love being young having you know that's the time for idealism that's the time for really having sort of mental social experiments of how things really work that's Mm -hmm. to really try as much as you can that's you know you're gonna fail you're young Mm -hmm. but Never be afraid to fail even when you are eighty years old. I mean right. that's that's life you want mm-hmm. to lead to sure that you always go out
0: fighting. Yep. Making a difference. Yep, yep, yep. I am so with you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's why when you were kind of saying young is the time to experiment and try, I'm still thinking like, yeah, but that's all of life, though. I hope, you know, I can still get to my, you know, deathbed saying I've experienced more, even if that's through art or literature or things and different people experiences. You know, there's so much that I hope I'll constantly be growing and changing and as we continue to age, even just trying to connect with the younger, younger generations, that is always going to be, you know, yeah. a process. And,
1: and that's the thing. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm lucky enough right now. I, I Listen, born in 1972. Okay. I, I'm the notorious Gen Xer, right? Gen X. Yeah. So, you know what, Gen X, you know what everybody thinks about us. Well, let's Well, tell about, me. Yeah. Tell me, tell me. Let's start about what we think about ourselves. At first... As within each generation, we weren't understood. But the thing mm-hmm. that really I think sets us apart is we were the beginning of a whole different kind of economy. Mm-hmm. And a different kind of you know, looking accepting how our place was in the world. I say that we're the last generation that followed that strategic that strictly conservative model mm-hmm. college you get a job, you do all that stuff. Because we went before some of the big economic downturns that really changed everything. Mm. That line cannot be sold Mm. on 10 wires and a lot of the millennials because you saw the economy fail and you Mm. saw that you know, going to college for four years and then graduate school did not work for everybody because there was a shortage of jobs. Mm -hmm. It sort of forced generations after us to become more um, flexible in how they made money, you know, which gave rise to the YouTubes, which gave rise to our podcasts. People are taking a way more active, you know, role in in their actual living the rise of entrepreneurism on just a whole level and so those kind of things make us different we're the last I think mean old man down the road at the end of the street
0: (laughs) mean old man
1: yelling get off my lawn like hey what are you playing on my yard (laughs) that's so funny yeah it's true it's true. I mean, I've I've often described myself as that person, but really it's just like, listen, I'm just a hard shell encapsulating an old soft man. Really? The world better.
0: I don't see a hard shell at all. Like, look at you. You're laughing with me now, smiling. Like, where is this hard shell energy you're talking about? Oh, it
1: could be there.
0: <laughs> like, don't get too excited. You know when I might close <laughs> on you real hard.
1: No, but I, no, I just think though that is that sort of, it's really interesting that, you know, I see myself as in one way and you me in a completely different yeah, way.
0: Let's talk about it.
1: And it's, and it's You know, it's all about that sort of self-perception. And that mm-hmm. perception is, you know, when you go get with people in the older generations and even with our activists, we're so used to what I call the, it's the behavioral phenomenon of an external locus of control. Environment is controlling us, and we are very we can be very reactionary to everything. The one great thing about the um generations that have come behind us is there's an internal locus of control. You know, there's something that I think is great about that love of self and Mm. love of self-value and knowing your worth. And I think you guys have been able to see it more than us because you have been able to monetize your own images and monetize your own brands so much. That's something, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that has, has changed. Yeah. And so when you see it a lot of times, when you do some of the work that I, that okay. I do in community building, yeah. when you not only have Gen Xers, Gen Yers, millennials, but you also have baby boomers left and then people from generations that mm-hmm. are than that, So I really feel that um, I've been in a really good situation to work with a lot of different generations and a lot to see a lot of different characteristics and know how to work and pull those sort of pull those together in order to get something done be on a community level, whether it be on a public art level, whether it just be in pulling together, you know, a group of people and working. I, I for my day job, I'm actually, I am the director of a clinical trial on carotid stinting at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Okay. So, epidemiologist. My undergrad is in biochemistry. And I'm from Auburn University, number two in the country for basketball, if you get into Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it was really difficult converting from what people call a traditional hard science to a social science. But thank goodness that I had parents who Mm -hmm. were pretty open that said sort of what we're talking about earlier, never stop learning school for one thing and you get a job in one thing that doesn't mean that you have to really stay there and do it your whole life I think that you know the ability to sort of be amorphous in your character and take mm-hmm. those and apply them across so many fields I think that's the actual key that's yeah. the key to getting success and so I've been at the university for 25 years so I point now to where I can retire so but you know one of the things it's very hard to retire when you come from that thinking you know I go to work every day you know I don't rock the boat or anything as far as that when it comes to lining the basis of your everyday existence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then something happened and it just sort of opened up my whole world and okay. that was the pandemic I, first of all, want to say I understand any better than anyone as an epidemiologist, you know, pandemics ruin economies, Mm -hmm. people's personal lives. But, you know, and we can say for many reasons why this pandemic happened, why it spread the way it did. But I think the most important thing is as an individual person, you have to look at your surroundings and your environment and the situation right there and mm-hmm. you just have to move past it. It's really difficult. I know there was a lot of people who had lots of mental health issues. I feel blessed that I was one of those that was not really having a hard time because in truth, I'm a little bit of a longer.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Really yeah. Longer.
1: But I'm a you understand. Them. I do,
0: I do. It's nice to be yeah. alone. Yep, yeah,
1: it's it's nice being alone. And well, for me, you know, yeah. as someone who had been working in a grocery store since I was 13, yeah, and working full time and always having a couple of jobs, being in graduate, oh. time, it gave me time to sort of rest and become recentered. It allowed me to look at the things that I was doing in my life and just really take account of what, you know, was suffering, what was suffering in relationships, what was going on in relationships, um, friendships, work, you know, my own personal passions, what I wanted to do. The one thing that I decided is that I did not want to come out of this pandemic worse than mm-hmm. I entered in. I always wanted to go, you know, go forward and be. And I know that sounds a little self-righteous, no. but I, I think when you are at a point in your life and you have this opportunity to sort of reset and look at yourself in a different way, I mean, it's fantastic. And during the pandemic, I was able to do a lot of different things, mm-hmm. one of the things I got to discover my passion about what's public art. And yeah. so um, I think recommended me for this and I, just meeting her was so amazing. Yes. And let me just tell you a little bit about this. So I live in this historical neighborhood called Woodlawn, which is, woodlawn. it was its own city. It's about four miles from downtown of Birmingham, Alabama. It's got a his, historically Woodlawn was a wealthy um, to working class community there was a movie made about Woodlawn a couple of years ago called Woodlawn about the desegregation of oh. the yes so that desegregation in the high school was great for the neighborhood but you also know it came with consequences mm-hmm. consequence included um, stuff like white flight loss of opportunity loss of business infrastructure so when I moved to I moved to Woodlawn 18 years ago, right after I had gotten a divorce. I was a single father, I had three kids, had twin boys and a baby girl at that time, and so Whoa. it's like, oh my god, what am I gonna do? Um, so at a point to where my life was falling apart, and I was redoing it, I found this little neighborhood was which was literally right over the railroad tracks. And at that time it was considered the wrong side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what? Yep. I went there and I found this little 1907 cottage and I reconstructed that cottage and yes. I reconstructed my life at the same time.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: So it was kind of like automato poetic, you know, everything just really came together <laughs> at the same time. Yeah my sort of rebirth became cemented in the rebirth of this neighborhood as well. Mm-hmm. So since then, you know, I was looking for stuff to do, and one of the best ways to heal yourself mm-hmm. is to, you know, help heal somebody else, or help mm-hmm. something else, something else entirely. And for me, it was our neighborhood. And I knew you couldn't do it alone, couldn't do it yeah. alone. The first thing that You know, I did was decide to become involved in the Neighborhood Association. Now, I don't know if you've ever been involved in a neighborhood association, but you think that national politics can be tough. (laughs) (laughs) Try local politics. Oh,
0: oh my God. Yeah. Tell me about
1: it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So working with the neighborhood for a long time, um, just To make a long story short, currently I am the vice president of the neighborhood. And we also have two really fantastic nonprofits that have pulled together with us um, to come together with a mission to revitalize our neighborhood without gentrification. Yes. You know, we want to promote inclusiveness. Inclusiveness, racial inclusiveness, everything in our community, because we want diversity to move the day. And that's the only way that we see that we can move forward in a sustainable way. Yeah. and that includes, you know, doing things um, to the for the existing neighborhood to, you know, make sure have you know homeowner rehab programs mm. to. Or that people that live there are able to stay in their houses and don't yeah. because they're deteriorating around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all you know, alternatives to education. It's not about whether you have a charter school or a public school or a private school. It's about choice because we yeah. know that not. Mm-hmm pill fits everybody in this situation. Our kids have different needs. Our families have different needs. And so all of that needs to come into the equation before we start, you know, prescribing these panacea cure-alls for anything. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that really I saw that was going on in the neighborhood is the images that are in the neighborhood we're being forced to see. Yeah. Every neighborhood has its problems. Mm -hmm. But when the main images that you see in the neighborhood are of a half clad, scantily clad woman on the side of a building, or you have prostitution going on, or you have someone that is strung out on drugs. When kids have to walk to high school every day, And that's what they see. Yeah.
0: No
1: matter how strong you are, it can sort of weigh down on your person and who you are. That's why I became interested Mm. in public art. public art, though, public art, not just a place that people can go and take a selfie in front of and get a thousand likes on Instagram, but public art with a cause. So, I was working with uh, a local artist. Her name's Megan McCollum. He has Blank Space, which is a female-owned artist collective around town. Do beautiful work. And they were um, really just instrumental in bringing back the public art scene Mm -hmm. in Birmingham. And she and I were working on a project with a high school student just to find a wall for this high school student um, to to do her project on, but wanted to do more of the community engagement. Mm-hmm. So sort of a key piece, the link between the community and this, you know, this public art effort. So it went on and it went on. But so while we were walking in, Just this, we were walking to it from site to site. We decided to cut through this little alley. And I made the comment to Megan and I was like, come on, let's get through this alley because, you know, it's going to get dark here pretty soon. So I don't want you being out here scared. She just kind of laughed or whatever. And then all of a sudden, it was like a eureka moment. We looked at each other and we said, why do we have to just stop with one minute? Why can't we convert this whole unused app? Yep. It sort of started from there. Uh, We had some talks, and what basically came out of the whole thing is we looked around, and one of the things that was really missing from the art scene in Birmingham, a high concentration of female public art, as I always say, and people laugh at this, you can... You can find public art made by a penis in Birmingham, just like that. Mm. But what happens to the other artists? What happens to the artists of color? Right? So yeah. figure out something for them. So this alley, when we constructed the Magic City Mural Festival, it's for all female artists. This whole space will be dedicated to female artists. Mm-hmm. All of the work is inspired by the community. And when mm-hmm. I Sorry about the community. We, I even went more specific than that. I call it my love letter to the women. of Rick. Yes. Because it was during the time when of mass incarceration, when a lot of the guys that looked like me were sitting in jail, either dead. It yeah. was women that held that community together, like duct tape. Yeah. not going to let go. And it's just important to me that as our neighborhood is revitalized, that it doesn't get lost. That story does not get lost. We have a soul in Woodlawn. We have a spirit in Woodlawn. And I think that our public art, especially with the Magic City Mural Festival, just was an opportunity to tell that story and to get it known by everyone. And Uh. give those kids a place to go where they see young African-American women in a positive way
0: Yeah, the
1: people that are in our alley we have uh we have a beautiful piece by E.L. Chisholm she did a portrait a double portrait of a local firefighter possibly one of the most exciting things is Sophie Tuttle who's an artist he did a really fantastic piece that we decided to have at a local school in Woodland, we decided to have an essay contest. And there was this little girl who apparently sometimes, you know, could be a big spunky, but that's how we always to. Yes. She actually won and her face is on wow. the moon. so You know, that teaches a couple of things. Not only is it a great positive image of her, but it also teaches our kids that sometimes just a little bit of effort can lead to something that is just long lasting and you can be proud of for years to come. Yeah. But it's just really important, I think, to, you know, protect our artists, Mm. all artists, You know, it's it's got me to thinking that, you know, there needs to be more organizations, maybe nonprofits that make sure that our artists have, you know, um, fair wages, a basic wage. It also makes me think that our artists should have, um, you know, guaranteed health insurance. Mm -hmm. These are things that a lot of us don't think about now. But, you know, as many more people have gotten, you know, have gotten health insurance, But there's a lot of people I know that just don't have the, just don't have it. And it makes it hard to just live day to day. You have to throw yourself into, you know, any job that you can that might provide it for you. And it takes away from your time to sort of do your art and appreciate it for your true talent. So I just think my work in the community sort of led me in this direction and you know, I don't really consider myself an artist. I've done oh, uh, yeah. well. Well, I, I, I'm a, well. I've done paper. <laughs> and you know, I, I I love I love photography. I'm sort of a yeah. You know, I yeah. I, try to, I try to say that I take the best photos in Birmingham. I I, I I will say that yeah, or the best photos that my iPhone 12 will give me. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think it's the eye. And that's another thing I always tell people. And I'm going to give you this little bit of advice, Paul. Yeah. Only let people take pictures of you that love you. They always see you in the best eye.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's very true. Very, very true. Yeah. <laughs> this, I'm so excited to talk to you. I, but It sounds like this project has been so incredibly meaningful for you and the way that you love and care for the community and the people in your life. And I'm trying to conceptualize all the things that you shared with me. You were talking about being an epidemiologist and then doing this community work, but also going through this divorce and buying a house and restoring that cottage. And I'm just like, who is this person in front of me? Like, how did you go from epidemiology where, like, I'm trying to pull a little bit more back, like, and hear your narrative.
1: Yeah. So I guess, I guess the thing about me is I'm one of those people that people call the classic overachiever. You know, I think there is even a closer link to my work as an epidemiologist and graduate student to what I do now one thing that we did is research Mm -hmm. and in research you have to be able to go out in the community and sort of do a you know a quick scale of your the people that are going to allow you in the gatekeeper so it's the same skills but sort of transferable to a different set of work Mm -hmm. I think that I guess I was blessed with was a gift of gab i can talk to just about anybody hell yeah uh, for hours in. and i think for me it's not about I, I know these areas can seem sort of all over the place and it seems like you may have to do a little bit of code switching to get in mm places, but I'm the kind of person that I want Jason Avery to show up at the the same Jason Avery at every table, at my research meeting, at my board meetings, at church where I'm a good, happy Episcopalian and great Episcopal church. Love Love it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But yeah, and I think also it just sort of helps that as a kid, I moved around quite a bit. But yeah, so, you know, as I went out and helped, did research and at, at one point when I was doing some work out of North Carolina at the Research Triangle, we were doing the National Survey for Family Growth. And so I had to go across the country and go door to door mm-hmm. and talk to people and get a survey. So it sort of got me, it, The and the more I did that, the more my, you know, employers were like, you know what, you really kind of have a knack for this. Let's let's send you on, on this community research. But I think probably the best project that I did was um, called Project AIM, which is Adult Identity Mentoring. Okay. And it's a program that myself and another graduate student came up with way back when. And so basically what it says and it's sort of what we talked about earlier. We were looking for programs that would stop kids basically from having sex. Now, you know, that's really difficult because the first thing you have to do is you have to talk to them about sex and find out exactly where they are. Well, a lot of parents didn't like that. So I could sweet talk them as much as I want, but they were yeah. some back. But also... You have to realize that you're fighting biology. So yes, uh, we didn't really believe in an abstinence-only model. I think that just always sets kids up for, um, you know, really big issues. Um, even though we do, yeah, we know if you are abstinent that you are not going to have sex and you're not going to have baby. But that's not a way you should look at it. I believe in sort of harm reduction models. Is saying. That we know that there's a possibility and we acknowledge that something can happen or a, a behavior can happen, but we just need to make sure that the person engaging in that behavior is as prepared and does things as safely as possible. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's neither here nor there. But right. back to the point is that um, what we came up with for this intervention is a program which taught kids to talk about their future and what they wanted to be. And these kids were only in the sixth grade. So they were about 10 years old. Some people say that this sort of job training was, you know, unnecessary, but what we figured out is one of the difference between kids that were high achievers and kids that weren't was exposure to that information and to actually get you to, um, think of yourself in a different way Mm -hmm. as we were talking about earlier with the imagery. So you see some of those things are kind of spilling into what we did with the Magic City Mural Festival. Well, anyway, what was great, we went through, we did this intervention that was based on the kids actually um, choosing a job, making a declaration in front of their friends. And it was amazing. And so what we found is when CDC ran all the results, They found that it worked with little Black boys, which was absolutely amazing because this was, you know, what we saw was abstinence in those who had not initiated sex, Mm -hmm. and we saw delay in those who had. So CDC named it to their Division of School and Adolescent Health, and now it's almost in every state of the union. Mm-hmm. It's in Jamaica, it's in Africa, it's yeah, all over wow. the world. And so I always like to use that example. Also is just think one little project that I did in graduate school is now touching folks all over. And mm-hmm. so it was great to actually be named an author to that intervention. Yeah, and so, yeah, it's it, it sort of, I would say that, that with the Magic City Mural Festival Wow. It's some highlights, you know, of some things that I have done. But as always, I'm looking for the next highlight, too. You yep. Just in place you're, of
0: course, you're as good as your last act. Right.
1: Rest on your laurels and, mm-hmm. and, you know, rely on sort of fame or acclaim for something that you did, you know, last week, much mm-hmm. less 10 years ago. Mm hmm. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I for it. But the one thing as, you know, we talked about, you know, not having to code switch is with those skills, I take those same set of skills, you know, truly listening to people, wanting to know. And I think being a researcher at heart, it gives me that inquisitive mind deeper. And not only am I trying to just sort of put band-aids on those issues. I really want to find out the truth. I mean, mm. one thing as a researcher, your goal is to seek the truth. Without that truth, all of it's just window dressing and it's not going to make any difference. You got to get to the root of these issues. And once you do, you can see some change mm. in that area.
0: Yeah. Which is so beautiful to be a part of. You're talking about how, you know, you started that one research with the intervention and then it going out into different areas of the world and knowing that you're affecting people through that. And especially earlier at the beginning, you were talking about this point in your life where you're able to look back at, you know, your journey, all these different things. And you mentioned thinking about how it affects people. And you said, I don't want to say it, but it's the ripples, right? And I mean, here you are creating positive ripples in this, you know, big ocean, hopefully of a better world.
1: Yeah. You know, it's again, people have accused me of being, you know, idealistic, but if you're not idealistic, what are you? You should always have some types of ideals and not just rest on what our forefathers gave us, especially here being an African-American in Birmingham, Alabama, which is a city that caused a lot of our activism, a lot of our views on how we conduct modern anarchy, you know, in a way that you can yep. get through. You just, I just think it is an affront to our forefathers to think that we have made it, to think that an address that we can get now where we live means that we have achieved something. Because again, I like to just remind. Nobody achieves unless we all achieve. Mm-hmm. And I know that is a way of thinking that is, some people say that's like, you know, that's touchy-feely, but it's not. I mean, it is absolutely not. I can't rest, you know, knowing that other people don't have the opportunities or don't, you know, don't even have the the drive that I have. Somebody. It's, it's our goal to share that information with people and to make sure that every, you know, my mother always said, God rest her soul, mm-hmm. that they could never say that I didn't tell them. Mm-hmm. I mean, people can't do better unless they know better, And it's up to us. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I worked hard. I did this. I did it all by myself. Well, great for you. Not ever Just consider yourself a unique person, one of those perfect ones, but still reach out and help other people because yeah. no one's an either.
0: Right, one's right. A,
1: I can't go out and make my car. I need somebody else to do our car. I can't even weave together this shirt. You see this? Right.
0: I, love, I love that. The mouse.
1: But I like his little sneery look. On mm-hmm. Him. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't have made this. I couldn't have done anything. Yeah. It's about... You know, bringing people together. This is an artist from the Neff collection. This hat right here is a local artist, um, his name is King Spiff. He's in Woodlawn. Because, yeah. You know, if if I'm gonna wear something, I want it to represent my community, things of my community. Yeah. I, I could go and give you know fifty dollars to Ralph Lauren for a hat, but why can't I give thirty five to King Spiff? Yeah. 35. It's about pulling others up. We cannot do it by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Cannot do it by ourselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely not. And I mean, even the people I I say that and I'm like, yeah, we're going to have to fight so many people though that think in these smaller realms of meaning and people and just say, my family, my money, hold here, you know. But the uh-huh. the reality is, the more that we continue to not work together, you know, we have larger things like climate change that are actually, you know, could wipe out our species altogether without significant protection and. Yeah, here we are not working together, and we're all gonna lose if we don't figure this problem out, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I will say, (sighs) you mentioned climate change, and I just wanna say to some people in my generation climate change is real, it exists. You know, I know I live in a state that is heavily religious. Well, guess what, guys? You can be. Religious, and you can care about the planet. The biggest thing the Bible teaches is to treat our resources right. Mm-hmm. Treat our resources rightly. That means not dumping into our rivers. That means not letting excessive pollutants into our air. Not melting our caps. So it is real, and and I think, and I think that most people know it's real. I just think the biggest problem is that they think by the time it affects them that they'll be dead. And I mean, I'm hoping that's true because yeah. I face a world where you know Miami is under underwater. No, how Birmingham has become you know. Short, well, I mean, we we'll get some return, I, <laughs> Carolina then. Yeah. <laughs> Oh,
0: my goodness. No. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree. I mean, in the Bible, in Genesis, Adam and Eve were given the main responsibility to take care of the land and the animals. Absolutely. If you like for me, I'm not religious, but part of that—that te- that is literally what it says. And I mean, this should be a part of your fundamental, you know, understanding of how you go about the world and you were talking earlier about, you know, the different things you buy, the producers of your clothing and making sure that you're not, you know, contributing to larger companies that are making this whole exactly. problem worse. Exactly. Mean, it is our responsibility to look into these things and be
1: conscious about it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because it's, the pandemic taught us everything. Nobody needs a whole closet of clothes. All you need is a good couple of athleisure pieces good to go right
0: yep and that's the one thing you know that nature consistently does is you know these ecosystems had evolved for hundreds of years before us because no one animal hoarded everything in its corner and ruined this symbiotic balance that we had and now here we are the human species just like hoarding mass producing having so many shirts all these things just so we can have this and Doing that is also destroying other ecosystems. It's crazy, like we don't need more than like a small bit of sustenance. We don't need to take oh, so I, much
1: i mean it yeah. uh,
0: <laughs>
1: i i will I will be completely honest. I do have way too many pairs of shoes. But that's pair size thirteen, and I can never find them. So when I see a pair of thirteen, yeah,
0: crazy. yeah, you gotta get those. Yeah, no, I know, I know. And it's like not to say like you can't have things. I have a ton of things. I love no. my things, you know. But be conscious about it. You know what I mean? Maybe you get those. Well, Go ahead.
1: The, I think that's exactly right. It's like if you have the, what you have, you should be proud of it, and you should you know be excited about it. But what you should not do is. Be a slave to it. You can lose that at any time. What you need something is more sustainable on the inside. You need mm-hmm. self. That's what needs to be built. That's what needs to be built. It's sort of akin, I'm making a leap, but it's sort of akin that we were talking about earlier. The community as it's revitalized, right? You gotta know the meaning. The, the community at a core has to have a self-worth about itself because without it, it, everything can be washed away. I don't believe in this whitewashing thing that folks try to do. I mean, it's 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 not right. I know that there's a lot of guilt about the past out there. Um, and when people work together, it can get you know pretty hairy. But I just think we have to get beyond it. I mean, minorities for a very long time have been forced to get past deals. I think if everybody does it a little more getting past and pulling together and working together, it's going to be great. And I mean, I am i just feel blessed that I'm able to talk about this. I got to say, I am in different circumstances than a lot of people because I am in a city that is 72% African-American. look at major city. There's not many major cities where I fit and I am the actual majority. Yep. Yeah, playing with that whole system of still being a minority within the framework Mm. of everything. So it's like a dichotomy that you have to face. It's like Birmingham can become a microcosm, a think tank for the greatest ideas and innovation comes to, you know, dealing with racial issues. But at the same time, we're still all in that place of just we're all thick heavy tradition. I mean, you know, we just got in a, uh, we just had a battle of our lives during uh, 2021 and dealing with removing a Confederate statue that was middle of our park. You know, people say, oh, you're not, you're removing history. And I'm just like, you're history to be oppressive to others and you're upset that it's being removed, then I'm sorry. There's there's nothing you can do. Everybody's entitled to that. Now the thing is, I am not going to jump all over someone for their beliefs because a belief is a belief. Rather mm-hmm. somebody have a belief and truly believe it than to have a belief as a you know an offset of their brainwashing. Yeah, and I mean yep. brainwashing for everybody. Yes, right. There's a time when. You know, even when I raise my kids, my boys are 21 now. They're living in Sacramento. My daughter's 18 yeah. and she's off in college. Yeah. You know, I've been going through that with them. It's like you raise them up and you think you know you're giving them the best advice, but at the end of the day. Once that clock ticks one day over 18 years and 1 hour, you really have no control of them and all you can do is pray that everything that you've given them will be used and that they will be good people and that they will be happy. Mm. You know, when my boys up and wanted to move to California, I told them, I wish I had had the guts to move to California when I was your age. But see, that's the difference. I told him I came from a different, you know, I came from a different generation. I came yeah. the generation where I was the first kid in my family to go to college. Yeah, same. There were people relying on me, not relying on me for financially or anything like that, but just relying on me for making a correction in making our family standard and giving us those things that we had not had before in our yeah. family. I mean, my dad, you know, grew up in North Carolina where he picked tobacco and then mm. he in a factory in New York City when he was 16 years old to send money back to his family. My mother picked cotton in Alabama. Yeah. And met My dad, when she was young, and she was a housewife, but those were opportunities that they never had. And I just thought it was important, you know, especially when you look back, there were so many people that would have just died for the opportunity mm. I had. So that's something, you know, yeah. hey, four years, six years, I'll still have lots of life. You know, yeah. let me do this and it gets us straight to, you know, it's all about, you know, being an example. And if we don't have those examples in our community, mm. it it, what's it all about?
0: Yeah. Right. And for you then to be a first generation student, you didn't have that example.
1: Right. Did not have that example at all. But what I had mm-hmm. were
0: parents
1: who were just hell bent on making sure that I had the best education possible. And, you know, I wasn't allowed to just have like, crazy language and stuff like that it was my mother was correcting me you would have thought she was an English school (laughs) mom yeah that's what you would have thought but it was important to her she just did not have the opportunity Mm. he always told me the story um and I I love the fact that my parents were older so my dad was born October 29th 1929 the day that Wow. 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 Right. And my mom was born in 1940 in rural Alabama. So I'll get back to her story. She was so smart, always brilliant in her books, made top grades. But when she got to be a senior in high school, the family that my grandfather was farming with said, hey, why are you letting those girls go to school? We need help in the field. And so My grandfather didn't buy their books because they needed to. And so my mom, you know what she did? This is the blood I come from. My mom ran away. She had, she looked in an ad and they were looking for colored girls to work in houses in Philadelphia. She actually went up there with her sister and she's like, I'm leaving here. They left. They went in, my, they were working in the house for a day or two, and of course, my mom, being my mom, got fired after that day. Uh, according to them, and uh-huh. I cannot, you know, get any other sources for this, but she ran out the door crying and she ran into the arms of my father. Yes, right? And they were together for 57 years. <laughs>
0: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Wow. What a story.
1: Yeah. So I I do have a I do come from, you know, a pretty prosperous family. And my grandmother, my mother's mother, even though, you know, she did not have any formalized education at all, but she was an official midwife. Mm. What happened is they would go to rural sections of Alabama and they would find these people that could deliver babies and she was certified at the program at tuskegee and so it doesn't matter sometimes what your conditions are you'll see some of those same family traits some of those i call them the ancient archetypes you know we just have to deep dig deep and sort of find them and we all have examples there we all have it is there whether we tap into it on a spiritual level whether we tap into it in a neighborhood level whether we tap into it with just our work skills i mean you made a great point what was it that you know gave me the power when that wasn't an example mm-hmm. it's yep. like all pulling together on that collective unconscious to make sure that you know that you can channel it and give it to the next generation. Mm
0: yes and i'm thinking about your mom running in that boldness to pursue the life and the dreams that she wanted oh,
1: yeah she she knew that picking cotton you know in alabama was not going to be for her and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that one of my, one of my uh, favorite quotes that i used to always hear from this pastor is he would say you know everybody just needs to be a little more happy about where we are in life. Change takes a long time. He, we have really gone from cotton sacks to Cadillacs, and some of us still are not happy. I mean, when I look at the fact that my father grew up at a time where what you and I are doing now, having a conversation, would not have happened. If he was on one side of the street and someone like you approached, yeah. he would have to that street and he couldn't look them in the eye not yeah. have a conversation and here we are today in 2022 and you and I are having a conversation about how we're fixing all of this mm-hmm. how to address it I just think yeah. that's not progress that's I mean then what is but you right. have to still know that everybody is not in this situation and People just need to be given the opportunity to shine and given the opportunity to do something meaningful. There's yeah. suppression of that in our society. It's like, if I'm not doing anything, then I don't want anybody to do.
0: Yeah.
1: It's almost like that whole, if I can't have her, then nobody can have It's right. ridiculous. I mean, right. come out of ourselves, we've got to be more self-actualized. I know <sighs> like all the time say
0: more yeah
1: as long as you have I'm 49 years old I have a house mm-hmm. a car yeah a job, yep. I, have, I have the basics right yep. I have those basic things but where am I mentally am I at my highest self I mean we could always do better we should oh, yeah. strive to do better
0: yeah
1: yeah, yeah. I mean just you never know who's looking at you, whether it be a child, whether it be another person. you know never know who's going through what, when something that you might say might just give them that little piece of it yes, yeah just don't hold it in. I think people should be vocal, people should be excited, but in all of that. I still think that we shouldn't forget or lose ourselves because, at the end, self care is super important. Mm. And it's not about being selfish, it's about being protective of your feelings, protective of your heart. Yep. Because once one of those things gets, it's hard to move forward. Right. It's
0: hard to move forward. Right. And if you keep pouring from this, you know, empty basin as you give into other people and keep giving, giving and don't have any protection around yourself, you're eventually going to just run out dry and run yourself thin. You have to have some level of self-protection to be able to give to others. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. It's, it can be really difficult, though, especially, you know, for people who are out there, you know, like you trying to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Your podcast makes a difference. It it comes to a lot of people that you know people don't even know you know, people don't even know sometimes that they can not and do better is not the word I'm looking it's excel. You know, it's like it's not about flying, it's about sailing across the sky. Yeah. It's about it's just about making the most use of the time we have. I mean yeah example two people that if i could be like them i would love it betty white rest her soul yep and jimmy carter these are people that what should have been able to sit down and have us kiss their feet 30 years ago 30 years ago and betty white god rest her soul she was Doing it until the very end, and Jenny Carter is just announcing today that they're building what, like 26 more houses. It's like, how can you stop when you like that? But it's not only the big names, it's about the older women in my neighborhood, those activists that have been around. Miss Darlena King, who has been fighting the battle in Woodlawn for 40 years, Mr. Mm. Jones, Miss Bertha Nettles, Michonne. Uh-huh. All these people. Yes, I'm. I'm just lucky to be in an area where I'm able to be inspired, mm. um, and every day. That's every, amazing. Every day, and you know what? What I love about it is everybody doesn't have the uh, the same face. One of my partners in crime is Becca. Hey, Becca, hey Becca, <laughs> Yeah, who's Becca? Becca Fox is. <laughs> and, I mean, she's just so hard to describe. I, basically, she's a female version of me. Ooh. She's a lot more, she's an artist, she's a singer, she's an activist, she pulls together business, I love this. she cares about the community. I have never seen a person in my life who gives as mm. much as she does. I mean,
0: yeah. wow.
1: we, just, we just named her our first Recipient of our neighborhood hero award that we bestowed because she doesn't necessarily even work in our neighborhood proper, but she believes in our cause and right there with us. And she's Mm -hmm. what we want other people to see. She's an example. She doesn't have to be in Mm -hmm. our neighborhood, but she has to be. Love
0: that. Yes.
1: Because of who she is. Just absolutely love her. But it's like, a partnership with Becca shows what, like, mm-hmm. back to Dr. King's original dream, you know, that we work together hand in hand. We come from different in, in environments and backgrounds, but it's about working for it and building a future. Yeah. Yet, so that everybody can thrive. Yes. Everybody has a place at the table, that equity is for all. Mm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And I'm just so in awe of like this image of your community and what that means to you, because the people that you surround yourself with really do inspire you to, you know, rise and become better and dream even bigger when you're surrounded by such a supportive community. That's so powerful.
1: Yes, it's very powerful. Very uh,
0: uh. Yeah, I mean, I am just so in awe of the multitudes of connections, experiences, your life, the different paths that you have taken and to like really devote yourself to inspiring a community and hopefully making more ripples.
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing that I'm doing now, my latest uh, thing that I've been working on is a small business, a small lifestyle business. Mm -hmm. It's called Cottage Noir, which is um, the nickname for my house. Instagram page. Yes. Okay. It's yeah. Black Cottage. Um, love it. Love it. Love it. But it's a, basically I'm looking for the intersection of design, drink, food, and fashion. So one thing, one of the first things that I did was I. I would do Southeast Asian food, catering. I was lucky enough to take a wonderful trip to London and learn from some of mm. the Indian and Thai cooks. Ooh. This is food that I had been cooking for a long time anyway, just because I loved it. But now I had the opportunity to learn from the best and bring that back. And so I had a couple of uh, you know catering events. And then I came up with an earring line with a local... I'll send you a pair. Yes, sure. pair of Thank you. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a collaboration that I did with a local woodlawn jewelry maker. It was a jewelry company at that time. It's now um, Marsuco. Great. We were able to come together, and we actually sold these earrings, and the proceeds from these earrings went to the Magic City Mural Festival. Wow, so uh, I've also been doing some things with um, happy hours where I come up with signature cocktails and classes um, for a couple of big events, some with the six, with a diff- different amount of nonprofit, mm-hmm. work with some different bars to come up with some menu concepts. And so in the future, now I get the time to sort of express my um, fashion side of it. Um, more than just the earring and accessory line I want to start working on a line of union suits or like yeah really funky patterns for female it'll be a little bit tailored so that you can show off the female um form and for guys big blocky heavy you know yeah so I'm just different designs right now I'm going to be working with some Fabric designers, and see if I can come up with some new, some prints unique to my brand. Yeah. Uh, and it's right now. It's not anything that I'm going to make a million dollars off of. Mm. It's it's all about exploring and seeing what you can do. Yeah. Uh, I'm always really excited. I know on my Instagram page I talk about different recipes or what I may be doing tonight. Or I may show off show off some of my photography. I'm a a sucker for sunsets.
0: Oh yeah. and Stunning. Absolutely stunning. Right. I don't
1: know if you've ever, if you have never seen a sunset in Birmingham, Alabama, you're absolutely missing it. So I invite you to go look in there and see if you can. I will. I will. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of scary. It's, it's really scary. Mm. I did a piece for Voyage ATL magazine the other week, which talked about, you know, how scary it can be when you've been on a job for 25 years. It can be really super frightening to give up any of that sort of stability. Yeah. Right now it's been really good. And the pandemic has allowed me as well to uh, explore that side and take it slower and see what I wanted to do. Uh, but I do realize, again, you know, the my job has been a luxury for me during this time, because it's and my business, has been something I could just dabble with. Um, I just can't, you know, go on without mentioning, you know, all those folks who had to come about that way because of necessity. But, Absolutely, you know, people, I think it really exposed some things with our society, especially about the service industry, whether you be a cashier. You know, I was a cashier. That's what I started out doing when I was thirteen years old, and we all know everybody loves a cashier, and sometimes you have a hateful cashier and a cashier that doesn't want to talk to you. But it's a tough job. Yeah, it's not people have ever been super nice, but now we're paying the price because people have seen that it's not worth it to be yelled at and have their faces fit in, and so now we're standing in line and people are having to be, you know, patient, and so that's the one thing that. I thought would go away is this sort of people being impatient with, certain concerns, but now it seems to have gotten worse. So, I mean, you all wonder if it will ever get back to the same, but I think it's going to be incumbent on the people who are seeking services to be a little kinder and a lot mm-hmm. of to people who are really putting their lives into danger with every interaction that they have with us. Yeah, pandemic. Response. You yeah. know, if I come into contact with one person who has COVID, yeah. but if I come into contact with 50 people, mm-hmm. just got to realize that we just all need to be a little more kind of more understanding.
0: Yeah. It's another human. It's another human, another, you know, someone's precious child, someone that is loved. Like, how can we see that view of these people, even when they're in these, you know, dysregulated states of high emotion intensity, even when they're lashing out in anger, remembering that hurt people hurt people. That's and that true. that comes down from that own pain.
1: Now, I did see a video online today where and I wonder what was going on. These people were fighting in a buffet over crab legs, and this was like two weeks ago. So, I mean,
0: <laughs> oh, all the help for humanity. Listen,
1: the great thing is <laughs> what I lo- but what I love about human beings, and what I love about just people, the world in general, is no matter what happens. We can always maintain a great level of pettiness, and that's what makes humans entertaining, right? (laughs)
0: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We can always be ashamed of ourselves. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is just absolutely insane. I've been reading um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Have you heard this book? I have, I have. Yeah, it's just... So, so fascinating. I mean, his story is absolutely uh, atrocious, you know, going to Auschwitz and like really looking at human, like humanity, humans at some of these like forms when you really strip away everything. And, you know, he consistently talks about one of the best things that, you know, humans kept through that time was humor. Right. And I I love that. He was Ah. like, even though it was grotesque and dark, given the circumstances, there was always this kind of humor that was about with the people, because what else can you do in that time of such dark atrocities and for me that's what i try to hold on to like you know like let's let's come back to the laughter how absurd this universe is
1: right i mean i think if you were to interview or if i were to get to the end of my life say like at about 106 yeah people are coming to my funeral and they'd be like what is the main adjective that you would use for jason i think everybody would say he was silly as hell yes silly i've always believed that there is nothing that a good dry joke couldn't cure mm-hmm. you know i just love to keep people laughing there's you no know, there's certain people that don't think i'm funny at all the people yes. that have known me for years right?
0: yes yes they're like
1: enough is enough mm-hmm.
0: so when's the stand-up comedy gonna come out you keep talking about want to push and grow to these new identities i want to see you the know. set
1: it is just so funny that you said that because I've had two opportunities. There was this award show in Birmingham called The Other Awards. Okay. Basically, it was like, you know how people get best restaurants and best this and best that. we came up with the awards that nobody wants to give, right? So funniest person, blah, 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 you know, best bartender. Yeah. So I had to actually go up and present with this local comedian and I was really nervous and he lo- ended up laughing at the end of the day because he was like I totally bombed and you said you stuck every joke and they loved you. You should be a stand-up comedian. And it was funny um I have a friend who describes me as the modern day Paul Mooney mm-hmm. and who Paul Mooney is he's a he's an old um comic and you can look him up but um some people have said I should have some kind of show whether it's yeah. reality a show or something like that mm-hmm.
0: but, or a podcast I, like don't know. Doc. I
1: don't i i don't buy it i don't think i'm that interesting <laughs>
0: Stop. I absolutely disagree. I And I mean, I hope that when you listen back to this podcast and hear all the different things that you're passionate about, all the different things that you have knowledge in and care about and the people that you know that have shaped you, you know, so many different relationships that alone is so much knowledge to have that I think I completely disagree. And I think you can make some pretty solid content.
1: Look, see, I already have what I need to become atomic right self-deprecation. See, I'm good with that. Check. <laughs> Check. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny,
0: yeah. Um, is there anything else that you really feel like you want to say? Otherwise, I do ask one question of everyone. Yeah, go ahead. So the one question that I, that I do ask everyone is, what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal?
1: One thing... That's more normal that a lot of people, especially in my environment, is just diversity and coming. It's a normal thing. It is not, you know, segregation still takes place on a high, high level. Yes. Or it be segregation as far as the class of job you can get, whether it be segregation as you are a woman and you serve some bees in the kitchen and the guys are outside, whether it be segregation as you're on one side of the playground and I'm on the... That's not normal. Mm -hmm. That's not normal. It is normal for people to want to come together and learn Mm -hmm. about Other's cultures, and it's normal to want to be accepting of other people. It's hard to hate and isolate yourself. Coming from a loner, it's that's very difficult. It's great. It's just like the the concept of two different species coming together if they can. The strongest part of each push forward. Mm -hmm. Long as we get this sort of thought that diversity is normal. That working together is normal. I think we can take it to the next level. I know it seems bleak and that it sometimes seems that we are one step forward, two steps back. But I truly believe that the arc of life always trends to becoming more progressive and for the rights of people. Mm-hmm. I'm able to... Use like some physics in this. For every reaction, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So, you in, yeah. and everybody thought that we had made it with Obama. Obama was a big reaction, and an equal and opposite reaction followed him. Yep. And I just think that we just need to keep in mind that um, my father, in his words, he was like, you know, I was complaining to him one day about how the world didn't seem to be going in the right direction. And I was just tired of all these sort of like Mm. racist and just backwards people. And like, I was born in 1929. Do you know how much change I've seen? (laughs) yeah. Yeah. You know, we as as humans, we're we're hungry to see what we want to see. And we see it from our own perspectives, but tap outside ourselves. I just think the story is a little brighter than we give our story credit.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: But yeah, diver- diversity's normal. You know, being excited about waking up in the morning is normal. Yeah. Believing in yourself is normal. Yeah. Helping out other people is normal. Yes. All normal. Mm-hmm. Waking up one day and not wanting to talk to anybody and burying your head in the sheets, that's normal too. Mm. That ebbs and flows. You just exactly. keep going in the right direction.
0: Exactly. I love that ebb and flow. It's not always happy, happy days. There are those low days, but recognizing that, I mean, I always equate it to, you know, the ocean waves, learning to surf, you know, like it's a yeah. powerful form of nature and you learn how to write it, you know, and it, you get that. Exactly. Back.
1: And how do you know the joy of being able to ride that wave if you haven't fallen on your face a thousand times. Exactly. You learn the true elation of like being joyful. It yes. It failed a hundred times mm-hmm. I mean, to put yourself out there. Okay? Uh, yes.
0: Yes, I love absolutely everything that you said. There's been so many points of, you know, inspiration to giving back to your community, connecting, beautiful artists that you have mentioned, and just so much positivity that I feel radiates from you. Even, you know, sometimes people stay in this positive space and then ignore all of the realities. I feel like you have such a healthiness of recognizing the pain in reality, but still projecting towards future joy and focusing on that trajectory
1: it's all about if you're going to do this work if you're going to do this cause it's all about balance mm, yeah. it's all about balance because you can't you can't move forward if you're ignoring what's in front of your face yeah mm-hmm. you can't, you can't. Yeah. it's just like in our community i think our community is great now we have so many things going on. But would it have been that community if it weren't for the white flight and the times? that I mean, if we had never undergone we would have just been the next rich suburb from the city. Mm-hmm. And that's not what happened. And it didn't happen for a reason. And, you know, one thing that I want to mention, and I don't know if Nico talked to you about this, but in her mural, and this just takes it full circle, in her mural mm-hmm she um, did a portrait of this little kid named Maxwell. Mm. Maxwell's grandfather had fled Birmingham back during the time of the church Wow! when the four little girls were killed. So he left and he went out to California. Now she's painting that portrait of Maxwell and it sits in the alley. At the end of the alley is a funeral home. And that funeral home is known for being the place where that church bombing was planned. Wow. so with just art and pulling together ah. people and we were able to reclaim that space. how yes. that space can be not only used by everybody to come oh. through and see these positive images, but these spaces actually lead onto a business strip and so Now, during a time of COVID, these businesses are able to expand into the alley, and their businesses are a lot healthy. So, it's all about trying to get the lowest hanging fruit that can affect the widest amount of
0: people. Yes, yes. And trusting that, you know, eventually all these things do come full circle when you put in that work. I, I love this. I love yeah. this energy. It, it might
1: take forever, but it's going to come.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Have that go-getter energy and build and be bold. Ugh.
1: Yes.
0: Is there anywhere that, I know you mentioned your Instagram with your house. So is there anywhere if people want to learn more about you and what you're doing that you want to refer them to?
1: Yes, um, you can follow me on Instagram at Cottage Noir 149. That's C-O-T-T-A-G-E-N-O-I-R 149. Mm -hmm. You can also have a personal page, um, which is called Jason Avery 009. So it's at Jason Avery 009 on Instagram. And you can also follow me on Facebook at Jason Avery. And you'll see a picture of me in this hat.
0: It's a hat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. I love your energy. I love your smile. and uh-huh. It was just so fun to get to talk to you.
1: No, it was fantastic yeah. talking to you. You know, I was a little nervous. You never oh. gonna, you never know how you're going to translate to the younger folks. But, um you know, <laughs> you just got to be confident in what yes. you're doing, knowing that you truly do have something to give. And like mm-hmm. we talked about the ripple, me needing... Uh, Nico was no mistake. Yeah. Led me to you. It led exactly. us to this moment.
0: Exactly. And,
1: and these moments are fleeting. We don't have them all the time. We I just think any opportunity that we get together and we're able to engage and spread those ideas and have a communication with people mm-hmm. who've never known each other the day before that's what it's all about. Yeah. That's how that's how we truly shake up the systems. Oh, yeah. As we talked about earlier, they want us to be on our islands and in our cocoons. So that's why I say it. it is not unusual to be together. Yeah. Then we know. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. We
0: could read about all these ideas, but I think what is so profound is hearing two humans have a dialogue about it and the meaning and hearing the, you know, emphaticness with, which you're speaking, I think that's what pulls other people conversations relating rather than just ideas. And so for me, I, I feel like this podcast is such a beautiful journey where I can just like connect and allow people to spread these beautiful messages of positive and joy. And it's you mentioned a love letter earlier that you do, and I was like, this is my love letter to the world yeah, that I send. To
1: I, I mean, I, I am just so impressed. I've been listening to your podcast about a week. I just love it. What I love is the way it truly is just having a conversation I love you know I was like what am I going to talk about what am I going to talk about you know and you just you're you're perfect you're perfect yeah. for what you do you're perfect yeah. for the way that you sort of allow self-exploration oh. and move throughout it I did I did focus groups in research for years and mm-hmm. your skills are what we try to teach mm-hmm. to have I mean I realized mm-hmm. I probably have been talking ten minutes straight, and one. <laughs> and
0: I'm still like, yes, I'm with you. I'm tracking everything. I'm holding it up here, right. Yay. Right yes right. yes yes, absolutely that is that is uh yeah a learned skill, that active listening thing, but i I love it, it's such for me, I love to sit back and get to hear people's narratives and yeah. so much truth, and you've lived through so many experiences that I think are profound right. at any level of activism, you know those local people you were talking about to the big people doing larger level stuff, like we all have such truth as humans who have walked this earth to share mm-hmm. with other people,
1: absolutely yeah. 100% agree
0: mm-hmm. well this has been so lovely and thank you for those words of affirmation that's so kind oh no I'm
1: telling you you did a great day.
0: if you enjoyed today's episode then leave us a 5 star review wherever you listen to your podcast and if you're a part of the anarchist community then follow us on Instagram or nominate a guest for the show by sending in a letter to modernanarchypodcast at gmail.com otherwise I'll see you next week